0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one, of such one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all of this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out his treasure. What is new and what is old? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I speak to you in the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you know this already, but I love Genesis. I love the whole book, but I am particularly infatuated with that portion of Genesis that begins with the saga of Abraham and goes through his ancestors. And the reason I am so intrigued with that part of, of Genesis is it's stories about folk that are just like you and me. Today, we read a snippet of the story of one of those folk, Jacob. Now, as I was reflecting on today's lesson from Genesis, I couldn't help but think that really this would be the basis, a much better basis for a a homily if it was combined with last week's reading. I fretted about this, and then I realized that the lectionary police will probably not be here today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about this week's reading from Genesis and last week's. Now, admittedly, I can't ask everybody to recall what we read last week, so very quickly, I'll catch us up. How's that? This is last week's reading. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a place and stayed there for the night. He took a stone, put it under his head, and laid down. He dreamed there was a ladder set up, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Jacob awoke and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. In order to really appreciate our little saga here, both what we read last week and this week, we need to understand why it is Jacob left Beersheba and who Jacob was. You see, Jacob didn't leave home. He didn't leave Beersheba to go on a visit with relatives. He didn't leave for a vacation. He didn't leave looking for a job. He left because he was running for his life. You see, all of this begins immediately after Jacob, with the help of his mommy, Rebecca, has just deceived his father, Isaac. And not just his father. His father who was, who was blind, who was terribly ill, who was on his deathbed. Under those circumstances, Jacob deceives his father into giving the all-important blessing that is meant for the eldest son, giving that blessing to him, to Jacob, rather than to his older brother, And this, remember, follows on the heels of Jacob already tricking Esau out of his birthright. The birthright meant for the eldest son. Now, when when Esau, excuse me, when Isaac found out about this, he was horrified, but Esau was mortified. Esau was angry beyond all description. Esau vowed that he would kill Jacob when his father, when Isaac, was no longer alive. So you see, it was under this threat on his life that Jacob scoots out of town. And so who is this person, Jacob, that we encounter in today's story? Well, to put it very simply, Jacob was a jerk. I'm serious. A jerk of the highest order. This is a man who has lived all of his life willing to deceive those closest to him, his brother, his father, his father in this vulnerable condition. He is is the person, he is the archetypal look out for number one guy. He cares about no one and nothing else except for what those other things and people can do for him. He is a person, in other words, apparently devoid of a moral compass. That is the person, this scared, this unethical, immoral person who lays his head on the stone to sleep that night and has the famous dream. Now I think when most of us hear about Jacob's dream, what do we think of? We think of the ladder, don't we? The angels going up and down. And that's cool stuff. It's great stuff. But that's not what's really important in that dream. What's really important is what comes next. God comes to Jacob. Did you catch that? God comes to this amoral, self-centered, lacking in any moral compass human being who's sleeping. God comes to that person. Unbidden, uninvited, on God's own initiative. And God makes promises to Jacob. God promises that I am here with you and I will always, always be with you and I will support you. This is important. If Genesis is about folks like you and me, and God comes to Jacob. What about us? Well, first of all, I think we got a leg up. I'm willing to bet everybody here's got at least some moral compass where Jacob had none. God comes to each of us. God is already there with us. Now I recognize, for some, that can be, be included, a little bit scary. I don't really know, know that I want God to be with me all the time to know what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm saying. As a friend of mine, a priest in Connecticut once said in a sermon, we've got to get over this notion that God doesn't already know everything about us. And you see, once we recognize that God is already with us, God already knows everything about us. It will change us. It will change our relationship with God. It will change our relationship with those around us, just like it changed Jacob. The Jacob who awoke from that dream was a different person than the one who laid his head down that night. Jacob, for the first time, says or acknowledges God's presence until that moment in Jacob's story, he'd never even referenced the Lord. And now suddenly he recognizes that he is in the presence of God. He recognizes this is a holy place and he erects a shrine in respect towards God and God's love of him. So it's a changed person that then leaves this place and goes to see Uncle Laban. Now, if God comes to me and comes to you and comes to all of us and promises to always be with us and support us, that's great news, right? And we would like to think that there, you know, after that, everything's kind of hunky-dory. But it's no fairy tale with Jacob after he leaves this place and he gets to see his, his uncle. In fact, to the contrary, now this changed person, Jacob, has the tables turned on him. First of all, Jacob is now capable of loving someone other than himself. Because loving, as we talked about a few weeks ago, means being vulnerable. And yet, Jacob is now able to love Rachel. But the tables are turned and the deceiver is now the one being deceived. He has to work seven years, seven years of indentured servitude to get a wife. Only it's not the wife he wants, right? And after this deception is revealed, he has to promise to work another seven years. Another seven years of indentured servitude for the wife he does want. So, so Jacob goes through 14 years of work, ends up with two wives, one of whom he doesn't want. This is no fairy tale, is it? It's a long, tough road. The point is this, that when God says, Randy, I will be with you. Jacob, I will be with you. I will be with all of you. I will never leave your side. That's not a promise of a, of a rose garden. In fact, the contrary, God pretty much promises all of us that we'll have times of trial and tribulation. We will have times of, of personal and emotional pain that are low, low valleys. And yet, and yet that is the time where God is apparently most present in our lives. A priest who I revere, one of maybe the two or three priests I most revere in my life, once made a statement about this. He said, Is in those times that we face tragedy so profound that we do not know how we can get through it. It is in those times that the evidence for the existence of God is greatest. It is in those times that we think we cannot get through it that we're able to look back and see that we did. We're able to put one foot in front of another and slowly walk through that valley of the shadow of death, and we're able to do it because God never leaves our side. God gives us the strength, the courage, the patience, even in those profoundly tragic times. It is in those times that we most feel and know the presence of God I love Genesis. I love Genesis because it's stories about folks just like you and me. Folks who are brave, tough, heroic, and at the same time, scared, weak, and broken. And it is to those people the the ones when they're strong and brave and ones when they're scared and weak, that God comes to them, God stays with them, and God strengthens them when they need it most. And it's no different. It's no different for you and for me. God is with us right here. Right now. And God will never, never leave us. Amen.